And we are back. Welcome to episode number two of Bound for Disappointment, where we talk sports, music, and whatever else we feel like talking about. My name is Kevin Charity over here in San Diego. Coming over there in Phoenix is Mark Don't Call Me Lenny Wilkins. What's up, man? Hey, that's my uh, third cousin twice removed right there. How's it going, Kevin? Is he still the uh, NBA all-time leader in wins, or did somebody pass him? I thought Popovich got the pass on him. Did he? I don't really know NBA, so. I believe so. I haven't watched the NBA since Vladi Divac was the starting center for the Lakers, so it's been a minute. Um, it's Good not time. probably entirely accurate, but um, <laughs> we are, as, as as San Diego fans, we're we're weeping as we watch the, I mean, I'm weeping a little bit. I mean, I'm weeping in my heart uh, as the Dodgers have won the World Series. It just ended, but... We have a we have a we have breaking news. A bon- did you ever watch Nancy Grace? Like, did you ever watch that show? Oh, of course I did. That was that my, was after school viewing. Yeah, my mom used to. My mom was obsessed with that show, but she used to always like bombshell. So there's a bombshell that comes with this this daughter's victory, and it's just been broken apparently on the Fox broadcast that Justin Turner kind of left the game, or not kind of he left the game. And it was kind of a mysterious thing, and maybe he's because he's had a hamstring issue. I thought it may, maybe they wanted to get Rios in as a defensive replacement. I don't know. Uh, our boy Justin Turner, also known as Tungus, has tested positive for COVID in middle of the game. Yeah, I'm wondering. Uh, one, I'm wondering when that test was taken. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of questions with this, but the fact that he got pulled. I mean, wasn't in the. He had an at bat, I believe, the eighth inning, and he 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 wasn't there. It was late in the game. Yeah, I mean, I I, I believe it was in like the sixth inning. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I just remember kind of doing some things, eating dinner, and just kind of bouncing back and forth between the TV. And they took him out, and they kind of made it sound like it was mysterious. So I thought maybe I know he had that hamstring issue. So I thought maybe he tweaked it, or you know, maybe you know, not that Rios is a defensive replacement is not that type of guy. You know, he's there for his left-handed bat, but I thought it could have been a situation like that where maybe that acted up. But this, in my opinion, this raises a lot of questions um, because, you know, the the, the story right now is the Dodgers have won their first world series since 1988. And that's, that's great. But I, I'm more concerned about the COVID case because I, um, I am one of the people that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pro mass, stay the hell away from me. Don't go out in public unless you have to. I'm that type of person. I've tried to basically, you know, I've been a recluse most of my life and, and COVID has kind of made that acceptable. Um, so I, I've been the, the type of person that's, that stayed out away from people. And it, it brings a lot of questions. Like you said, like, when did he test positive? Like, did, are they testing? I, I doubt um, they're testing guys in the middle of the game. I mean, we actually have clarification on that from Jeff Passan. Um, it looked like in the second inning, they got yesterday's tests and Turner's came back inconclusive. So the test from yesterday didn't come back until the game already started, which is interesting to me. Huh. Um, and the samples from today arrived and they were run, his showed up positive, and the league immediately called the Dodgers and said to pull Turner. I'm wondering if, if the Rays were notified, if anyone else was notified in this situation. And it's interesting that today's samples still came back tonight, but yesterday's samples were not available before game time. 
at least that's what the impression we're under. And they went ahead with the game. Um, granted, the players were bubbled, so maybe they felt a little more confident about it. Also, it's the World Series. I think they had a little more incentive to get this going, but uh, it's a little interesting move to me. It doesn't make any sense. Um, the whole baseball has done a fairly decent job after the initial break breakouts that they had in uh, or outbreaks, I should say, with uh, the Marlins and the Cardinals. I think we haven't had a positive test in something like 50, 60 days, something, something to that effect. And so for this to happen now, you know, essentially going into the last two days of the season, potentially, um, it, it brings to me a lot of questions. Like, how does this happen? Especially with the playoffs, they purposely went to a bubble format. They didn't do the games in the home ballparks after the, the wild card round. They went specifically to the bubble to, to prevent outbreaks, to keep guys safe. And, you know, like I said, the tweet right here from Jeff Passan is that the test from yesterday came back inconclusive. The samples today had just arrived and were run. It showed up positive. So I don't know if Justin Turner is the only guy to test positive. It seems like it because there's been nothing else that's come out. Uh, but I mean, you have to kind of wonder what the, what, what's going to happen next because you know, COVID is something that potentially is deadly. I mean, you know, we know that with guys that are relatively young and are in shape, it's not as big of a concern as people that have the pre-existing conditions and, and are older, but there's, there's gotta be a major concern here if, if you're the race too, because you don't know if you've been exposed um to this you know he was in the game he's at the plate potentially you know passing things on to zunio or mike zunio and i don't think i can't remember if he got on base or not but he's rounding first he's you know he's he's basically kind of dropping droplets as we go and so it's really 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 just very curious of 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 what's going to happen um this is absolutely to me and maybe i'm being maybe i'm getting caught up in this just because i'm looking for any storyline aside from the dodgers celebrating the the world championship because i'm trying i have my fingers in my ear and i'm just screaming la 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 trying to ignore it so i'm looking for any other storyline but you know uh this is um this is interesting and you know jeff passon just tweeted out again and this is you know when you hear this this isn't going to be breaking news but we're going to talk about it is when the Dodgers return to their hotel tonight, everybody will be given a, a rapid PCR test. On the field right now, as they celebrate, the Dodgers are wearing masks. Kind of too late for that. Unclear as to whether they'll stay in Dallas area before traveling back to Los Angeles. So, I mean, that's another thing. If, if, if Turner has it and it's been passed out, passed out to other people, um, do they have to quarantine now in that hotel for another 14 days and, and prolong the bubble? I mean, they're, are they going to be stuck there? for you know into november um this is a a pretty pretty interesting situation it is it could be like the the marlins ended up putting their positive tests on a bus back to miami it could be like that uh to avoid commercial travel but yeah justin turner's been in contact with clubhouse staff uh i assume their security stadium staff uh anyone else who's who's got tier one clearance to these events um umpires there's just a, there's a lot of uncertainty there. And it, it's interesting to me, you know, MLB had a pretty good, obviously the bubble was pretty successful because we went all the way until the last minutes of the season. So there was a problem. 
but it wasn't as strict of a bubble as the NBA, and the NBA got through it with, with no problems whatsoever. Uh, Major League Baseball was allowing um, – they were in a hotel. I don't know what the what the actual precautions were at the hotel. You know, the NBA was in a situation where once you're in, nobody gets out, including staff. Everything. It was a huge expense. Um, I don't know what Major League Baseball was doing differently. It will be very interesting to find out how Justin Turner tested positive if they give us that story. They may not. You know, it's a privacy issue. They may they may give us just, hey, it happened and, and move on, especially because the season's over, the Dodgers won, and obviously Major League Baseball is thrilled about that. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting part too is from my understanding, and it's it's kind of interesting how how this whole thing has worked with COVID because when a guy blows out his arm, it's disclosed. Like somebody tweets it out that so-and-so is going to need Tommy John surgery. Right. With COVID, no from my understanding – yeah, with COVID, from my understanding, the player has to give consent for it to kind of be be out there. Like when when Tommy Pham tested positive, he gave permission to AJ Preller and and he disclosed it in a press conference or a Zoom meeting or whatever you want to call it. Right, and I think so the union agreement yeah. because if you look at the NFL, the NFL literally will just place you on a list called reserve COVID. They don't care. Like they're and it it, it doesn't. It, it's not necessarily that you tested positive. It could also be that you're at risk or exposed. They'll just say, "Hey, Kevin's on the reserve COVID list with Mark," and and that's what it is, and everyone knows. But the MLBPA arranged this deal, and it, it's made it interesting. Yeah, um, this is, this is situation is going to unfold. Um, I'm sure we'll be following up with this in coming weeks, but. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's just an interesting story to me because this whole COVID thing with, with the country in the state that it is where when you look at, and I'm not trying to get political, this isn't a political podcast, but when you look at the cases in, in a lot of places are still steady or they're rising and they're rising in most places. Um, this is still a problem. It's not something that's going away. And I, I hope that it wasn't something where he broke protocol. He got out and, did whatever i don't want to speculate because that's not fair like he could have been doing everything right and somehow got exposed exactly um so we'll wait for that and wait for judgment but you know first of all i hope he's doing okay like even though he's a dodger i mean we we make jokes but definitely don't want to see anybody get this um i think it was eduardo rodriguez on the red sox has developed a heart condition where he's just been cleared within the last i want to say the last few weeks where he's able to just like walk as a form of exercise um, that's how bad he's he's got it. And he's a young guy in great shape. So um, you just don't know. I mean, COVID, that's what's so scary about this this virus is it's just so unpredictable. You have people that are seemingly fine, and you have other people that should theoretically be able to, to get through and they and they have trouble. Um, you know, young people die from it too. Obviously, we you know, the majority of it is is people with pre existing conditions that are older and not that their life is any less valuable than a young person, but um, you just, you know, that's, it's just the unpredictability with it. And I just hope that, you know, everything turns out okay. And that he, you know, he didn't expose anybody else and it's just a one case and we can move on with our lives. Um, but kind of moving on to the, to the world series. I mean, my, my opinion on, on this world series, I don't know. Did you, did you watch a lot of this world series? I probably watched too much of it considering that I strongly dislike the Dodgers and the Rays don't do anything for me. I know there were a lot of Padres fans out there who were kind of co-opting the Rays a little bit more so than just being, being the face in the Dodgers. I didn't care. Um, 
but I, I watched probably about 80% of it. Really? I, I kind of checked out. I mean, I watched game one. Um, I checked out completely by game four uh, and kind of turned it on late when the Dodgers blew that, blew that game. And it kind of looked like the Rays might have some momentum to get back in the series, but it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I mean, my hatred for the Dodgers uh, is permeable. I, I despise the team. It's just kind of how we were raised. Uh, going back to '96 in the playoffs, or the, or the the end of the series, you know, end of the season when the Padres won the West and, and swept them. It's never really been much of a rivalry. The Dodgers have generally, especially within the last 10, 15 years, have been the class of the National League and the Padres have not. And I think the rivalry is beginning with the Padres and then matching up in the playoffs this year. But um, they just, I don't know what it is about them. I just, they just, they have great players. Like, don't get me wrong. I think Cody Bellinger is, is a fantastic player. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, say what you will about his choking. He kind of exercised those demons this year, but one of the best pitchers of all time, but they just didn't really do much for me. And then the Rays, I, the thing with the Rays, like, can you imagine, there's some weird things that have happened in 2020. Uh, all kinds of weird things. That, there's too many to name. But one of the things, like, I, I, I said it this morning, um, cheap cheap plug here, I was on Ben and Woods this morning, talking about the Padres farm system, but one of the things I said is, you know, it, or I was thinking is, like, you know, when we talk about Ryan Weathers, like, Ryan Weathers made his major league debut before Mackenzie Gore. There's not a situation a year ago today where you just said that that would have been possible. Like you, you would have been crazy. And one of those situations is, can you imagine Manuel Margot batting cleanup for a team that is in the world series? Like from what we saw last year from Manuel Margot for him, he's a nice player. Don't get me wrong. I've always liked him. I I thought he was going to hit better than he did, but the dude, and I know that the Rays do a lot of matchup with lefties and righties and, platoon guys and they pinch hit for guys when the lefty leaves and the righty comes in and, and vice versa. But the team just isn't outside of a Rosa arena who, who came on big time. The, the Rays just aren't a very exciting team to me at all. No. And you're right. I mean, you talk about this, the alignments that baseball had this year where they went geographically to avoid travel. I, I, I lost all faith in baseball East of the Mississippi this year because the Rays you know, the Rays are, are a great team, and maybe they did deserve to go to the World Series, but I don't – they just don't feel like a 41 team to me because they just can't hit the ball. And it, it, it bit them in this series against that Dodger lineup that's one through nine going to get you. And, you know, Margot, we all liked him. He was inconsistent. Um, it would have been maybe nice this year to keep him as a fourth outfielder when, you you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You see what happened in the Padres season with – Tommy Pham and everyone else, but uh, I liked the trade at the time, and I think it still is a good trade to get Pagan for him. But yeah, he ended up being the the core bat uh, outside of a Rosarena for this team, and you just can't win that way. Yeah, the, the Rays kind of pieced together a couple of wins. They had that game in Game Four where they they scored eight runs, but this team just was never going to be able to outslug the Dodgers, and I I almost feel like as much as everybody hates the Astros, I feel like the Astros might've been a more challenging opponent because at least they have some guys, you know, that, that have some power. I, you know, what I was ultimately hoping for was, 
you know, and people will probably scold me for this, but like I, I really like watching the Yankees play. I think with Judge and Stanton healthy, um, watching those two guys, that would have been really fun to see them. And it's the 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 old time teams, the, you know, the the battle for teams that once were uh, New York, one that was once New York, the the Brooklyn Dodgers against the Yankees. That would have been cool. The Rays, just I just I was hoping that they could kind of piece things together, but the way that you you use your bullpen is different in the playoffs and you know they went to Nick Anderson one too many times they got burned again tonight and they are done and thus the baseball season is over which for me it ended the night that the Padres lost in the playoffs to the Dodgers I I always tend to check out especially in a year this year which was the highest of highs really for the Padres uh, making the playoffs, winning that playoff series in kind of dramatic fashion with that game two game, you know, win where they just slammed a bunch of homers and, you know, were able to, to, to fend off the Cardinals despite having one healthy starting pitcher. Um, but we want to transition and kind of, as we go forward with this podcast, one of the things we want to look at is what are the Padres going to do in the off season? What is their plan? And so what I wanted to take a look at was, uh, arbitration. So the Padres have nine arbitration eligible players this year. Um, they range from the obvious star p- players to Mike Clevenger and uh, Denelson Lament, all the way down to guys that are kind of on the fringes of the roster, such as Luis Perdomo and even a Greg Garcia. So MLB Trade Rumors has like their projected salaries, and I'm also looking at Cots contracts, which I believe is now owned by baseball baseball prospectus and both have kind of put together some arbitration projections and payroll projections. And so I'm going to kind of start off with a player and we're going to start at the top of the roster um, and kind of work our way down because they're actually, believe it or not. I mean, some of these, these decisions are very obvious, but some of them aren't obvious as you think. And what we're going to look at is tender on non-tender trade them. So I'm going to get basically list a player and Mark's going to make his case. I'm going to make my case. Are you ready to do this? Let's go. Let's go with the first. Let's start at the top with the highest projected salary. Now these are projections by COTS contracts. These are not what they are officially locked into. It could be more. It could be less, but you got Zach Davies uh, in his final year of team control. He's projected according to the model on COTS contracts to be around 9 million. Uh, MLB trade rumors, if we're projecting his salary out for a whole 162 games and it's not prorated, um, and this could be a really weird year with, with COVID and, and the, the prorated salaries kind of depressing some salaries, but they project him at, at 10.6. So let's kind of – let's say he's at $9 million. Um, Are you tendering Zach Davies? Are you non-tendering him, or are you trading him? I'm almost tempted to say trade just because – of the young arms coming up, but I'm so paranoid about starting pitching depth after what we saw happen to the Padres that I'm tendering Zach Davies. I am tendering him as well. I think, like you said, there is too much uncertainty with the rotation. You obviously theoretically can pencil in Clevenger and Lamette, which may be spoiling what we're going to talk about next, but you need depth and Zach Davies pitched really well this year at $9 million, even at $10 million, he's still a bargain for what he was able to deliver last year uh, or this year. I should say he's an obvious tender. Now, if you can make a trade that makes you better going forward, 
then you're obviously always going going to explore that. But I think kind of looking at him as on a one-year deal because he's out of team control, so he's a free agent after the 2021 season. Um, he's pitching for a contract. I mean, he's going to go into next season at 28. He'll be a free agent at 29. You know, if he has a really good year next year, he can set himself up for you know getting a four- or five-year deal. And it might be his one chance at getting that multi-year guarantee. And so I think he's, he's someone that I, I would bet on. I think as we learned uh, with, with the playoffs and, and what happened is you can never have enough starting pitching. And I think depending on a bunch of young arms to eat 150 innings each probably isn't going to be feasible. And who knows what the season's going to look like next year. Who knows if we're going to get a full 162-game slate. We have no idea. Nobody really knows for sure. We're hoping. I'm, I'm going to go into these projections as kind of expecting there to be 162 games. But you need to have Zach Davies. You need to have pitching depth. He's an obvious tender. Let's look at the next one. Now, again, if we were looking at this a year ago today, I would have said that if you said non-tender, you're, you're insane. But it's not as obvious as it was due to injuries and, and due to performance. It's Tommy Pham. Uh, now, Tommy Pham you know, has had a really tumultuous offseason. Um, we already know about the stabbing, uh, him, him hanging out at Pacers, uh, which is another issue in itself. Um, I'm not here. I'm not the moral police telling him, saying that, hey, he shouldn't be at strip clubs, period. During a pandemic, um, probably not the smartest place to be. And I didn't realize that strip clubs could operate. I mean, I think they're, he may have closed that place down. Uh, I don't know the whole story. Yeah, that, it, looked, but, it looked like he got um, an angry uh, DM that he aired out publicly about getting uh, Pacers closed down. So, Yeah, um, and that's something that he probably shouldn't have done. It's not a great look. Um, I don't know the situation. Being that he hasn't been charged with anything, I'm assuming he's innocent. Um, and I know that a lot of people in the fan base, I would say the people in, in the Padres, Twitter, Twitter sphere, whatever you want to call it, social media, it's a very progressive thinking group, and which is a good thing in, in some cases. But I think it's also maybe we're too quick to judge people for other things. Um, and, and, you know, he can have – he can think – whatever he wants, as long as he's not breaking the law and as long as he's not being disrespectful, I, he can do whatever he wants, really. I, I just want him to play baseball. That's what he's here for. Um, $8 million. He had a really rough year, um, just even in performance. He just did not really live up to, to, to expectations. But it's really hard to judge him because he had that broken hand, the hammock bone, and he hit really well in playoffs. He didn't really hit the ball for power. Um, which obviously the the hand could can sap your power, but I think he went out there and gutted it out, um, did his best to really to be out there every day. And so, uh, are you tendering him, non tendering him, or trading him? You know, I I looked at just who's going to be a free agent, and so much of the market looks like they're either going to be well over eight million, or they're going to be worth a fourth outfielder, and. I don't see Fam having a trade market that we would like to see after the season he had, the injury he had, and then the secondary injury he had. And I'm leaning towards tendering just because at $8 million, the worst he's going to be is a fourth outfielder, which he kind of was last year. And I don't really see the, the market giving 
you know, it'd have to be a show me deal and this would be kind of a show me deal for him. And if there's one thing we know about Tommy Pham is that Tommy Pham on a show me deal, uh, he'll probably show you unless he hurts his wrist again. Yeah, he's an obvious tender to me. Um, there's no way that you non-tender him. He's 33 years old. He's coming. Now, think of it like this. If he were a free agent, would you feel pretty good about signing him to a one-year $8 million contract? Exactly, because that's right now that's fourth outfielder money. Right. And so $8 million, his salary is depressed a little bit because of COVID and the fact that he did not put up his prototypical – solid numbers now he doesn't ever put up like amazing numbers but when you look look at the the advanced stats you know he's always the guy's got a 370 on base his wrc plus is always 120 130 um and he's coming into a year where he at 33 years old this is his one chance to get paid this is absolutely his one chance his one shot to to get a you know at 33 going into a 34 season he's probably looking at maybe a three or four year deal. I mean, I don't think he's going to eclipse that, but maybe he gets a higher, you know, average annual value deal where he can make 50, 60 million over the course of his next contract. I think that's what he's looking at. He's a guy that's motivated. um, I think a lot by people doubting him and and kind of writing him off. And I think I expect him to come back. You know, he's going to put in the work, you know, he's always posting his, his, workout videos on Instagram and it's kind of depressing because it just makes me feel like a fat slob. But, um, you know, I, I think he's going to come out, he's going to be motivated. He's going to have a great year. And I think hopefully the DH returns. So you can kind of give him a break here and there. You can maybe find a fourth outfielder that, that can give you a little bit. Maybe that's bringing back Profar. Who knows? Uh, I think we'll, we'll look at the free agents maybe in, in another episode, like coming up next week. Cause there's a, there's a bunch um, but yeah, you got you got a tender fan. The next one, it, it, this should be obvious. Uh, Mike Clevenger, he is projected to make about six point three million, somewhere in that range. You tender Mike Clevenger, you trade him, or or you non-tender him. You know, I'm going to go on record here as admitting that early in the season, I was not a fan of the idea of the Padres acquiring Mike Clevenger. There was some off-field uh, chatter. There wasn't really anything that ever was concrete, but there was a lot of uh, chatter about his home life and his attitude. And he had the whole thing where he um, he went out for the weekend and, and lied to the team about it, which he was very contrite about apologizing for. So I wasn't thrilled. But the Clevenger that we got uh, almost felt like a different guy. I mean, just a positive influence, uh, showing up early with the, the coffee cup to – not not just watch, but give feedback at Mackenzie Gore's bullpen, which those were uh, big events because of what was going on with uh, Gore this year. Um, so I just felt like Clevenger, a lot of the guys at the trade deadline, but Clevenger was definitely high on that list, just instantly became a Padre, and I think you definitely keep him as one, especially at that price. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I haven't really looked into a lot of that. I know there was some stuff – about like you said his home life and i don't really want to get into it because i i don't feel like i'm well versed on it um so i've only really judged him on what he's given to the padres and with the past i I, look i mean we can debate that we can talk about that people can say that maybe i should care more about that um who knows um but i think he did have a really positive influence on the team i think he seemed genuinely excited to be with be here and i think at that price yeah you're, you're you're you gave up a lot 
Yeah, you know, maybe you didn't give up as much as you thought you would. I mean, when they when I kind of saw what they gave up to get him, I was kind of like, wow. I mean, that is that doesn't hurt at all. I mean, they gave up a lot of a, a lot of quantity. Um, you know, the only guy in that deal that I was kind of bummed that they traded was Cal Quantrill, who they could have really used in retrospect. But I mean, again, I'm doing that that deal all day. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, he's an obvious tender, so you, you got to keep him around. The next one, just as obvious, it's uh, going to be Denelson Lament. Uh, he's checking in at a projected salary at of like three point nine million ish, so four million, we'll call it. And he is eligible for arbitration three more times. So this is his first trip around, I believe. So um, had a Cy Young caliber year, won't win it, but he should hopefully get a vote or two. Um, fantastic year. Ended really, really – I mean, I don't know about you, but like the, the game against the Giants where he came out and just kind of was like, yeah, I'm out. Um, that whole game – the rest of the game, I felt like a depression that I haven't felt watching baseball in a long time. It just completely felt like somebody, the Padres had this giant balloon that was just building up and swelling and momentum's come. The team's playing well. Just somebody just grabbed the needle and just popped it. And it was just a really, really awful feeling. Um, what are you doing with the Nelson? Um, it's, it's obvious to me. I mean, there were so many things that really brought the fan base together uh, in 2020, a time where, where the Padres really brought so much to us. And everyone kind of got really upbeat on those Denelson. They really kind of united the fan base. Like there was no one thinking like, oh, I hope he does well. We all knew he was going to shove. And that giant start, I was on a plane. And I was watching at altitude. I didn't have um, Wi-Fi on my phone, but I was watching on the um, on the screen. And when he got hurt, we were descending. And he got hurt, and we descended into phone range about five minutes later, and I just saw the, the, the Twitter timeline just – I mean, it was a pit in my stomach just seeing everyone's reactions, and I felt the same way. I mean, it was a, it was a feeling like you were going into the playoffs with one wing, and then obviously uh, things got a little worse from there, but uh, you, you tender him if you don't extend him. I mean, he is uh, – one of, the, one of my favorite things about Denelson Lamette is that other than the fact that he plays for the Padres and some other stats about, you know, where he's from and his height and his weight, I don't know anything about him. He has such a low-key personality as far as the public. Um, there's not there's no drama about that man. He shows up ready to pitch. Um, just a, a key contributor, and like you said, hopefully gets a vote or two because one thing that can't be lost in this season is that during the summer, he was arguably the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously going to be tendered. I mean, if the Padres non-tendered, even if he, like, blew out his elbow and had to have Tommy John surgery, you're not letting an arm of his caliber, even if he sits out the whole 2021 season. Uh, even at 3.9 million, I'm still tendering him just because he has so much potential. He's under control for another th- three years after this, so through 2024. Uh, he's 28 years old. So again, he's not super young. So you're going to really control the best years that he's probably going to have in his career. He's not going to be hit free agency. He's like 31, 32. So obvious tender. The next one, again, this one could be up in the air. Uh, Matt Strom. Matt Strom is projected to make 1.8 million uh, failed starter. Uh, I thought he had a chance to start. He looked good initially. 
last year when he was starting. Turns out he's really more of a reliever, but um, I, I just thought he he obviously had some issues with his knee. He had knee surgery. Um, he just didn't look right for most of the season. I don't think he was really ever healthy. Um, his strikeout numbers were way down, and he really wasn't that multi-inning weapon that I thought he would be. So at $1.8 million, knowing what we know, um, and he has, still has two years of control, so he's under control through 2022 potentially. Are you tendering him, non-tendering him, or trading him? I'm tendering Strom. Um I, I'm a glass half full guy with sports like you are. I'm always biased towards lefties uh, as one myself. But the thing with Strom is the role that he he plays is actually a really hard spot to fill. It reminds me of what Jeremy Affelt did for Bruce Bochy on the Giants, where that's a name, <laughs> right? Wow. It just reminds me of that that lefty that you can just call any inning for multiple innings or for a couple outs, which you can't do anymore, but, you know, three outs or multiple innings. Um, And, yeah, he wasn't that same multi-inning weapon, but, you know, hopefully the Padres know more about his prognosis than we do. And if it it looks pretty good, I mean, with it being a knee, I'm not overly concerned with a pitcher. Um, If he can get back to being the the multi-inning guy, he provides a lot of value as just a guy that you can call any time, and especially the way the game is now where – Starters aren't going super deep into games, and sometimes a starter gets knocked around first time through the lineup. And Strom's a guy you can bring on. You know, we, we've seen him come on in the third and go a few innings and kind of bridge it to the bullpen. And um, for that price, I think I tender. Yeah, at that price, I think it's it's a pretty obvious choice. I think he's a guy that he wasn't horrible this year. Uh, didn't look great in the playoffs. I think you could tell he was kind of favoring that knee. The broadcasters were talking yeah. about a little bit. Yeah, you could tell he's in pain. Plus, you know, he just had a kid, which is awesome. Um, so I think maybe that was kind of lingering over his head too. I'm not saying – trying to make excuses for the guy, but um, it's not it's not a crazy salary at all. I mean, you, you figure if he's non-tendered and a team has a, the opportunity to grab him, I, I think he could probably make more than that on the open market. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, so I'm tendering him at 1.8, 1.8 million, even if it's $2 million, I'm, I'm tendering him. Um, it just depends on what you know where they where they end up with salaries, and it's 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 really going to be difficult to predict. So I'm, I'm just using their model. So these these figures are, again are are not set in stone. It's not a guarantee, but it's the best we have. The next one is infielder Greg Garcia, the beloved East County native uh, from from Valhalla High. He's a Norseman, but. He's one of the more popular players, obviously. He's from San Diego, and, and I believe he resides in Santee. So it's always East County Day in, uh, whenever Greg Garcia plays. He is projected to earn a $1.75 million uh, contract. He's under control next year. says last year of control before he hits free agency. He's generally been a pretty solid player throughout his career. Um, this year, not the best year that he's had. Um, when you look at the numbers, and I'm pulling them up right now, I mean, he ended up with, with negative war, which is never a good thing. Um, his OPS plus in 2020 was 49. Um, so that is pretty bad. It's the lowest of, since his rookie year where he only had uh, a handful of at-bats. But he also didn't really get a lot of playing time. He only had 71 plate appearances. Um, his strikeout rate was way up in those plate appearances. The guy always strikes out looking. He only slugged 250. Um, so really, I don't know how much stock you can put into this because I feel like his value kind of goes beyond 
um, traditional. Like he's not a guy that is probably an everyday player. Like, and he's and he's not that role. With Jake Cronenworth kind of taking that role and and, and establishing himself as an everyday guy, there wasn't really a, any playing time for Greg, and so they they played him at DH a little bit. Um, was there to maybe give Cronenworth a day off, but they're both left-handed, so you can't really platoon them. Uh, at that salary, are you tendering him, non-tendering, or trading You know, like you said, things that go beyond the field. I hate to be the cliche and tangible guy, um, but one of the values of Greg Garcia is that he is just as ready, just as upbeat, just as optimistic, the same guy if you played him three times in a week or you didn't play him that month. And that has value because – with the infield the Padres have, the ideal scenario is the guy's not going to play a lot at all. And I had the the, the fortune, it was kind of accidental, I interviewed uh, Hawaii's baseball coach, uh, Mike Trapasso, when we were doing the Mad Friars feature on Carter Lowen. And he immediately, after I got through the questions, he's asking me, how's Greg Garcia doing? And, you know, I said, yeah, you know, we all love Gigi out here. He's a, uh, you know, great, great piece to have on the team. He's a great guy. And he said, that is the, the best guy I've ever coached. And I've followed him everywhere he's gone. Um, so at that price, he's just the kind of guy that you put him at the end of the bench and he's fine. You know, if he comes up and gets the big hit, he's fine. He's, he's got decent stats as a pinch hitter. Like you said, last this, this, I call it last year already. It ended, you know, 10 minutes ago. Yeah, so do I. Um, but this <laughs> this past season, not his best one, but his role changed. And I just don't I, – I look at the minors. I don't see someone coming up in that role. I look at the free agent market, and it's kind of a gamble. I think that if you're going to go for, you know, one year, I'm totally fine with Gigi taking that role. Yeah, I, I think when you look at what's on the 40-man roster um, – I don't. I'm. I've never was really comfortable with Jorge Mateo no. as a big leaguer. Um, he he didn't hit in AAA. He's got great speed and he seems like he's a good dude. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily somebody that I want in that role. And then when you look kind of beyond that, I mean, there's not really an obvious utility man. And I think that you still need a guy that can play if Cronenworth goes down or if you want to give. Uh, Tatis a day off and I, I still think there's value in what he brings at 1.75 million maybe you think that you can get a guy in a minor league deal that can do similar and, and you could be right and maybe you take that money and you reallocate it somewhere but 1.75 million is also not really a lot of money I mean that is nothing in today's game so I think for me I, I'm going to bring him back at that salary just because I feel like like I said there's not an obvious when you look at the 40 man roster as it's composed today, there is not really another backup infielder. Um, now, theoretically, when you start, you know, and we, we will take a, a deeper look at the Rule 5 draft, I think, coming up. I don't think there's really anything for Padres fans to have to worry about. But, we'll, you know, we'll talk about some of the guys we figure are going to get added. But, like, a guy like Tucapito Marcano is a guy on the, that is going to probably be added to the 40-man that can fill that role for a minimum salary. But he's also a guy that's really never played above high A. I think he got a handful of at-bats at the Storm last year. He ain't ready to step into that role. Um, and so maybe you can find a guy on a minor league deal or make a, a minor trade to get another utility guy. But I think for the – like you said, intangibles, there are certain things that I don't feel like can be measured by statistics. And, again, we're not talking four, five, six million for Greg. We're talking 1.7 right. million. Um, 
yeah, you're, we, you're bringing him back. You have Cronenworth can Absolutely. play shortstop in a pinch, and, and obviously Machado can too. So you're not so much worried about uh, Garcia being limited there. You're looking at Garcia getting the at-bats where he's comfortable. I, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, and over 100, course of 162-game season, assuming that's what we're going to have in 2021, slumps happen, injuries happen. So you're definitely going to want to have um, somebody in that position that can – that can come out and give you some quality at bats and be competent in the field, which I think Garcia can do. The next person we're looking at is Emilio Pagan, who's hitting arbitration for the first time projected for a $1.6 million salary. Um, it was kind of a tale of two seasons for Emilio. Um, he started out of the gate and struggled really bad, um, struggled badly and got hit really hard. You have a ton of home runs went on the IL and, after he came back, his stuff just looked so much more alive. He just looked more comfortable, and he kind of showed flashes of being that dominant reliever that we kind of expected him to be. Um, when you look at the, the final stat line, it's, it's not as pretty as, as you'd like, but I still feel like at that price, pretty obvious to tender him. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, because like, like you said, that fastball was scary flat when the season started, when, when the, the Padres – vaunted super bullpen was anything but early in the year and then he came back and he was the guy i remember woods on ben and woods saying he he looked like the guy they saw in peoria and he looked like the guy that we traded manuel margot for um so it, it was great to have a very valuable piece who can close out a game uh who can also just pitch a really solid seventh inning uh as a setup man so i i, I go for that i, I do at that price yeah, me too. It's it's obvious. I mean, you're you look at the overall, and if you look at the the baseball card numbers, four point five zero ERA, two saves. But I think when you look at the strikeouts, uh, he averaged twelve point three strikeouts in Tampa in two thousand nineteen last year or this year, last year, whatever you want to call it. Um, only only nine point four. The walks were way up, which is I think ultimately what kind of inflated his ERA. He averaged almost four walks per nine innings. The year before that in Tampa, he was under two. Um, and obviously, it's a small sample size. He threw 22 innings. So, you know, 22, 22 games, 22 innings over a normal season. Like I said, it's two months. So you're looking, okay, Pagan's looking rough through May, and the season's over because we only had 60 games this year. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way that you're not – going to bring him back uh we have two more players and players that are eligible for arbitration we have luis perdomo who is projected for a salary now one model has him at nine hundred fifty thousand; the other one has him at 1.2 million so a, a potential seven figure salary for luis perdomo um he's a guy that's been up and down throughout his career and you throw the another wrench he's actually had tommy john surgery and is out for the entire 2021 season what are you doing with Luis you tendering him not it's a tough one because I think we all love Luis he's been around the organization for a long time he's he's one of the last old soldiers around uh but a lot of his value was being that rubber arm that you put out with no regrets and when there's a game going the wrong way you put him out in the fifth inning you kind of let it roll and if he's hurt it takes that away uh I think I go I think it might have been you actually saying this on Twitter. I go the route of the non-tender and then a minor league deal. Yeah, you, you need a 40-man roster spot potentially. I'm, I'm non-tendering him. And I'm going to you know do this with the, the caveat, like, hey, Luis, sign a minor league deal. 
Um, I don't know what the salary looks like, if they're just going to pay him the, you know, the minimum of what a guy in AAA makes. But do your rehab with us, get right, and we'll re-sign you in 2022 to another minor league deal. You can come to camp and kind of prove you're healthy. Take it or leave it. Now, if he you – know, and I'm going to non-tender him. So he's going to have kind of control over his destiny. Now, if he feels like some other team will give him kind of a low guarantee – to rehab with the hopes that he's able to contribute in 2022, then so be it. But this isn't a guy that you can waste a, a roster spot on. And I think it's funny that you say he's like kind of popular because I don't feel like anybody likes Perdomo. I feel like always everybody's always like, oh God, Perdomo's and we're waving the white flag. I, I don't think anybody's really going to be sad to see him go. Um, you know, and, and these guys are these are guys are people. I I, 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 he's been around forever. He's was a Rule Five guy. He's the last one standing well i mean they have alan cordoba but um he's probably never going to see the big leagues again in all honesty so he's kind of the last man standing there um yeah you, you gotta you gotta move on um the last one is we have dan altavilla who earned the uh nickname thick daddy and also dump truck dan on twitter um due to his um 80 grade glutes we'll we'll, we'll leave it at um he's projected to make about 800 grand, 800, 850 grand, depending on which model you look at. What are you doing with him? You tender him, you non tender him, you deal him. I think you tender him. Um, Alta Villa is funny because we saw him with Seattle right before the trade deadline. And there wasn't too much that, that stood out about his stuff other than he had velocity. And he was up a little bit with the Padres and he just started to. You know, there, there's kind of that feeling when you come to a, a successful team, which is weird to say about the Padres, but when you come to an organization that's kind of trending the right way, you know, it floats all boats. His his fastball has been great. Uh, he's got some movement. He just kind of screams a good middle relief option, a good matchup option. There were some, some key at-bats where his stuff was, was what worked. And uh, I just think – Again, when you're, it's kind of the same situation you're talking about Garcia. When you look at the the minors, there aren't a lot of forty man roster options other than um, some of the late inning guys who are coming back. Um, and competition in the bullpen isn't the worst thing. So for that price, I think I think it's a no brainer. I don't think he has trade value yet because his, like you said, his baseball card numbers. They're not great, but there's some cool stuff there. There's, there's high velocity. There's a lot of potential. Um, and he's not that old yet. So I think Thick Daddy has a spot in uh, Peoria. Yeah, I mean, at that price, I'm kind of – I'm good either way, to be honest. Um, I, I think at that price, barely over the minimum, you'll, you'll give him a deal. Now, you could still DFA him right. and just owe him termination pay. Um, you know, for arbitration, you could potentially deal him. He's out of options, so you don't really have any any way of uh, sending him to wherever the hell AAA <laughs> is going to be next year um, to the alternate site. Um, they, they, they don't really have any flexibility there, so he's he's going to be someone that is going to, uh, in my opinion, be tendered, and we'll see what happens. I mean, he potentially could still. Uh, not make the big league roster. We don't know what's going to happen next year. Are we going to 26 man rosters like it was supposed to be? Are they going to leave it at 28? You know, I don't think 30 is going to happen. So it's going to be interesting to see, but the Padres per projections right now, when you factor in all the arbitration 
in all the guaranteed salary, you're looking at roughly, and this includes minimum salaries as well. So you're looking at roughly 136 million. So I really don't know how much flexibility that they're going to have. Um, they were projected this year with the opening day before COVID um, at 155. So if you figure if their pay- payroll is going to be flat, um, that leaves them with roughly 20, 25 million dollars to play with. Um, but they also could try to cut payroll, um, which I think I, I get the pandemic, I get economics, but I feel like it sends the wrong message a year after you make the playoffs for the first time in what was it, 15 years that you cut payroll. I, I, I don't think that they're going to go that route. I think if anything, it'll be flat. And you got to figure, I mean, they, yeah, they didn't have any revenue this year, but they also were projected to have coming into this year, $155 million in payroll and ultimately paid out 67. So I feel like that kind of, I don't know if they exactly cancel out, but it's not, I, the team's not, not, not broke. And I don't think any team in baseball is broke. So I don't, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I hope that they kind of keep things flat and maybe even increase it a little bit. I think that maybe that involves re-signing Profar or making a trade to get another arm or another bat, you know, and we'll, we'll leave it with this, with the, with the Padres talk, but, you know, with Will Myers at 22.5 million due this year coming up in 2021 and next in 2022, do you, do you keep him or do you look to move him? Personally, I mean – it's it's hard for me. Will Will really brought me back into into watching the Padres a lot when he had his All Star season. But with the money he's making and the season he had, and only doing it in one year, I'm not sure what his trade value is because they've already all these teams are talking about how hard it is to evaluate after this COVID season. So I don't know if if it's possible to get back what you want to get for him. Um, if there, I mean, if if anyone's going to do a smart deal, I guess it's it's Preller. I mean, he's done some some phenomenal trades, in my opinion. Um, I think you keep an open ear to it, but he he solidified right field in a way that a lot of people didn't expect, but most of us really hoped for. Yeah, here's my thing with it: is I I think Will Will's a great story. I think he's honestly one of the best stories that the Padres had in 2020. Uh, obviously, aside from Tatis and you know Machado's resurgence, but I think Will just seems like he's a good dude. He just seems like he he really just seems like a really good human. And the fact that you know he's been kind of at the lowest of the low in the Prella era, where you know he there's obviously some friction between him and Andy Green. Um, you know, one of the things I heard from somebody in the organization was that part of the reason that they signed Hosmer is because they feel like their best player, Will Myers, was their hardest worker, working player, the hardest. So they brought in somebody to kind of be the example, um, which kind of explains the Hosmer signing as weird as it was. I, you know, say that what, what it is, and that could have been just that person's opinion. But I think Will, Will, came on and he seemed to be liked by the guys in the clubhouse he seemed to have a lot of fun um with that being said with covid and and teams there's only a handful of teams that are going to spend money uh and you know you're you're looking at somebody's going to pay trevor bauer and somebody's going to pay george springer and i don't know how many teams are going to be itching to take back will myers at essentially two years 46 million um, I don't think he really has that much trade value ultimately. And I think he's going to be in San Diego 
unless the Padres decide to eat a portion of the salary or if they decide to maybe dump his salary and attach prospects to him, which is kind of the rumors we heard last offseason where they were trying to acquire Mookie Betts and say, hey, we'll give you a CompuSana or whoever they were, they were talking about, but you got to take Myers and like half this money. Um, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to trade him no. and then eat half of his salary personally. I mean, I'm tra- the only way I'm trading is if I can dump that entire contract and then take that savings and then basically reallocate it into the, to the big league roster and bringing in a replacement and maybe finding another starting pitcher or, you know, making another deal. Like, and I don't, I don't see that happening. So my, my prediction is that Will Myers is back in Padres Brown. Yeah, I, I think he hit on a good point there. I think he was so comfortable in the role of, you know, for a while he was the face of the franchise for a minute there. And I think it's such an uncomfortable place for him. And Hosmer came and Machado came and then Tatis came up and all these players have come in around him that I think just being the, the sixth hitter in the lineup playing in right field every day is exactly where he wants to be. And I was so happy for him with the, the success he had this year. And one of the first things that popped into my mind when, when the team clinched was just the image of him playing third base. I mean, we, we've all, as, as fans, yeah. we've all come a long way. We all have different stories that go back to – some of us go back to the, the first Brown uniform. Some of us go back to the teams of the 90s. But a lot of us go back at least to when Will played third base. And just to go back to that moment – to, to take that journey with him was special, that he didn't have to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I, I fondly remember the third base uh, days. I actually got tickets. I was watching. It was, it was um, yeah. It was, so it was really funny, actually. Um, I, went, I went down to, the, uh, to that game with my wife, and she has got tickets from her boss, and um, she like, oh yeah, I have tickets for tonight's game. That's it's cool. All right, let's go. And then so we we just we get all the way in line, and we get to the part where they scan your tickets in, and the thing wouldn't scan. It was like it kept rejecting it. And then so I pull out the ticket. I'm like, yo, this is for tomorrow night's game. And so we end up because it was a season ticket account. We ended up exchanging the tickets. But I remember the first inning. I think he had two or three balls hit at him, <laughs> and so I missed all the balls that were hit at him. So. Um, I was kind of looking forward to that because, you know, he, he did his best to handle tried, that yeah. position. It didn't work out. And, you know, he tried. I mean, and I think that I don't know how guys react when they say, hey, do this. If if anybody's going to be like, no. Um, and at that point, you know, he really could have because, you know, I think once you once you have that guaranteed contract, I think, you, you know, you maybe your attitude changes. I don't know. I feel like mine would. I'd be like, more well, like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, I think usually that, usually that usually that <laughs> tends to break so. headlines because I'm thinking of one of the only times I can think of a player refusing a position was Alfonso Soriano with the Nationals um, going from the infield to the outfield. And then he ended up embracing it and he played the rest of his career there. But there was that time when Frank Robinson was managing and he, he said no. So I imagine that Will at least handled it well enough or handled it well enough behind closed doors because those stories tend to get out. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I don't know what, what the conversations were like, but yeah. who knows and who cares really um, water under the bridge. And so that's going to end our, our Padres talk for the night. We're, we're almost an hour deep into this. So we want to keep things moving a little bit. Cause we got a couple of things we wanted to go over um, kind of moving on. So one of, 
I think we we touched on this a little bit last last time, but um, with the pandemic, it more, people are at home more than ever, and so one of the things that is kind of I've picked up again is is baseball cards. Now, I've I've collected baseball cards on and off again since I was a kid, and when I was a kid, it was just you'd go to to a store and uh, go to Target or wherever and pick up a couple of retail packs. And every now and then you'd hit something cool. Like, you know, I, I hit a couple autographs with Bowman's over the years, nothing like crazy, but the industry is basically boomed. Even like older cards are selling for a ton of money. And the, really the new fad is a lot of these guys um, like card breaks where somebody goes to online or goes to a card shop. There's a few of them around and they buy a, a case of cards for a couple hundred bucks, whatever it ends up being. And they hit on like a, a five of five uh, Juan Soto autograph car that ends up selling somewhere for two, $3,000. And so during the pandemic, that has boomed to the point where I don't know if anybody has tried to go to like the target or I don't even know if Walmart carries cards anymore, but it's been it's been impossible to find cards anywhere aside from a card shop because you could go to Target and Walmart at any point in time and they have usually you know eight twelve or eight to twelve foot section that was always full of cards they always had tops and tops opening day sometimes they had Bowman they carried Don Russ who doesn't have the MLB license so I don't f with those um, you know you, you could find basketball hockey I mean the only cards I've been able to find consistently at Target. It have been like the upper deck yeah. um, MVP NHL cards, which I collect because I like hockey, but I have not been able to find baseball cards. And so I think it might be interesting at some point to get one of these guys on. Because there's like, I know there's a couple guys on Twitter that I follow, like uh, Tom, that has posted consistently all these autographed cards. Been and how much you're going too. For. I'd love to get Tom. Actually, I had an interesting one. Yeah. I haven't, I hadn't bought cards this year. I've had an interesting year financially, and I have I just haven't really been looking for cards. But uh, you kind of you kind of got the the itch going with me, and rather than go through the multiple giant uh, boxes my parents gave me from my childhood, I was at Big Lots here in Phoenix, and I was just poking around for kitchen stuff and all those good things. And they had 2020 Topps Heritage packs, three dollars. Wow. Uh, so I picked up a couple of those. I didn't I didn't wow. score anything too cool in there. I'm gonna have to go through it, kind of look again, see if there's any anything maybe I'm missing. But there wasn't any, you know, there weren't any padres or anything I was too terribly interested in. But that was cool because like just like you, you know, Walmart doesn't do it anymore. And when I'm at Target, I usually see the hockey cards, which I don't I don't do the hockey cards as much. I love hockey, but I don't do like hockey and basketball and football cards the way I do baseball. And I usually tend to just see the baseball cards where it's kind of a, like the blister packs from cards from a couple of years ago or something. I haven't seen any 2020s because people are buying them out. So that was really kind of random. So maybe big lots. Yeah. I don't know. They're, they're kind of store to store. So I don't know if they'll be the same in San Diego, but uh, they had heritage, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, even top like tops is like almost a given. Like that's like, because I like the Bowman cards the best because those are the ones that you get the biggest hits on because they have a lot of the autograph and prospect cards. And so Target always carries the full set, Series yeah. 1 or Series 2, for like – it's like 60 bucks, And then they'll carry the individual packs for like $2, and they just have been wiped out. 
And so this article that was in the sporting news basically talked about how much the article has boomed. And it's getting to the point where, you know, if, if I'm a card shark or whatever you want to call it, whatever they call themselves, if they know that there's this target on sport, in Sports Arena Boulevard, which is, I think, the closest one to where I live, is stocking cards at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. There's going to be like one dude or multiple guys there. They're going to wipe out the entire, you know, the the twenty dollars boxes they sell, the individual packs. Everything is just wiped out. Like if you go over there, you'll find uh, some like Magic the Gathering cards and some other crap like that. And it's just been an interesting hobby. And so, yeah, I mean, I, for me, what I've been doing is I've kind of gotten into the the TTM thing, which. My first thought on it, it seemed kind of invasive, but um, what it is is you basically it's it's mostly retired guys, where you send cards to players and they'll in the mail with the self-addressed stamped envelope and they'll send them back, and so it's been kind of fun to kind of go after some players from from my youth. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty inexpensive thing. Like most of the guys don't charge. Some of the guys do. Um, there's a website called Sports Cards Forum or Sports Card Forum where they will tell you who signs and who doesn't and if there's fees. So, I mean, I've, I've got back some, you know, some, some Dave Dravecki cards that I, that I sent um, for the Padres. Ron Gant is, is a really great signer and he'll sign multiple cards. And then, you know, some of the guys charge like, uh, like Mike Mussina is in the hall of fame. He'll charge like $10 a card, which for a hall of famers isn't bad. I mean, if you, if you're really a big Mike Mussina fan, and you want a couple cards signed, you throw them a twenty dollar bill. You know he'll he'll sign them for you. So, I think that's been really fun just to kind of um, put together sets because I, I I like the junk wax from from back in the day. You know that's what I grew up with and what I collected as a kid. So it's been kind of fun to go through those and see see. Yeah, what you really you inspired get. me there. It's I might I might fun. do the TTM as well. Uh, I, I have these uh, like the bankers boxes just full of cards from my youth that I need to go through and. Um, you know, it brings back a lot of memories. You know, I remember the first full set I had was a 92 tops with that, that nice kind of clean border on it. Um, and then I picked up real cheap the, the 87, 88 tops and they had uh, uh, kind of more. Is that the 87 one? was the Is wood panel. Like I the believe. wood paneling looking ones. I love it, man. And 88, oh, God, 88 had like the, the big font of the team uh, on the top. And um, it is, well, you know, my dad at like the time had a, a 85 Volvo 240 with the, the tan leather interior, man. So we were rolling with that. And uh, I remember my dad gave me the, the late eighties score sets and score had the really detailed bios on the back. So I remember reading and being like, yeah, Scott Coolbox from, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, and I didn't know where that was or what that was about, but I knew that. And you know, you grow up and you see these places, or you read these things, or, you, or the, like um, Score had the minor league stats too. So you'd see that a guy played for the Firebirds, or they played for uh, um, Albuquerque. And you're, you're, you know, I was a kid, and I was thinking about where these places were. I was learning little geography lessons from them. You know, baseball cards are, are. Uh, I'm glad it's not yeah. a lost art because. You know, there's so much cool about them. I, the modern ones, you know, it freaks me out when they put war on it and a few other things. But uh, I'm, I guess I'm all for it in general because I, I, I do like stats. And I, I hope they keep telling stories because baseball cards are such a cool way to tell stories, especially the kids where you just you, you pick up, a uh, you know, an 88 Shane Mack and you turn it over and you learn something. 
yeah i i had a lot of fun with with doing that um it, it's also fun to look at the, like the padres cards from like because i've i picked up the like 84 set um which had a uh, you know that's the team that obviously went to the world series you know with with uh garvey and in the gwyn and uh i'm trying to think about and Terry Lawler and was in that set um yeah. Yeah, Mark Thurman, among others. And so I got the 82 set, and that was actually the year Tony Gwynn's rookie. Um, now, the set I bought on eBay was really cheap because it didn't have the Gwynn rookie, but I already have the Gwynn rookie, so it's all good. But if you look at, like, some of the stats for, like, these guys in the back, like, where the Padres minor league affiliates were, like, they had a team apparently in Lodi, which is, like, a city up by Sacramento. They had Walla 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 was a short season team. Um Amarillo, the Gold Sox were were you know some guys had some time there, so it's kind of interesting to see in the Padres back in the eighties too had a, had their AAA team in Hawaii, which is, I mean, I, the travel. I, I remember that reading that they had to do like bitch. long road <laughs> trips, like teams kind of had to just go live there for a week or two or something like. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it almost makes sense to have like two teams there. It's kind of like. If they ever like with the NFL, especially they ever the team budget the PCLs on, they have to go out to Hawaii. It's pretty crazy. But... Yeah, you like that trip. Um, I don't know. I'm. I have no idea what the what the uh, the teams wore. But if you look at the PCL, I think it stretches as far east as like Nashville. So if you're in Nashville yeah. and having to fly to fly to Honolulu, it, I mean, that's, and that's last I checked, you know, some of those teams flight, still don't so. fly in general. So you still you're you're making new arrangements and everything. Well, trip in AAA they typically do, but they fly commercially, so they don't have like chartered yeah. flights. They just, you know, you could take the five forty from Colorado Springs to. Well, maybe that's a bad example because Colorado Springs doesn't have a AAA team anymore. But you're taking the team, you know, for the flight from uh, from Tacoma to uh, or Seattle to to <laughs> El Paso, and they're sitting next to schlubs like us, um, having to to deal with the, you know the the early mornings. I mean, some people have even said that the travel in AAA is worse than like single A because of the, of the flights, the, the travel in, in like the California league isn't even that bad. San Diego when you first flew commercial on PSA but, and my dad um, was on a couple of those yeah. flights. Yeah. I remember um, a long time ago. Um, this is probably like 2005. I was actually on the same flight going to, um, I can't remember. Maybe I had a layover in Phoenix, or or maybe it was in Dallas. But the the San Diego <laughs> okay. Riptide was on the same flight, um, which was a yeah. It was a Arena Football Two team, um, so they weren't even like the main Arena Football League. There was like a, a, a level below it, and of course, San was uh, was Craig Willihan there? No, um, there, I don't think there was any NFL. I, I think he was on the riptide for a minute. Former guys on there, like he might have been. I mean, there was. Uh, I mean, I went to a couple of those games, and they're fun for what they are. But I feel like and this is actually something I had initially had. You know, we've we've been kind of procrastinating with uh, the recording of this because there's just, you know got a lot going on. But there was. Um, San Diego, there was a kind of a, a Twitter uh, post from a something called the San Diego Guardians where they're talking about pro basketball is coming back to San Diego and they're going to be in something called the Basketball League. And it just, yeah, the TBL, it just made me think of like how San Diego, like part of my frustration with like 
San, San Diego sports in general is we have this kind of like minor league mentality. And I know I listen to Dave and Jeff, and I know people may not like them, but they always talk about how San Diego is kind of Mayberry by the sea. And I think from a sports standpoint, it absolutely is because, you know, the, the San Diego Guardians are what it is or what they were is there's there's a thing called the ABA that is this semi-pro league um, that is kind of spaced out all over the country, but they have different divisions. And so San Diego had a team called the Guardians. I don't know where they play at, but there's another team called the San Diego Kings, which are a quote-unquote professional basketball team, but they play their games in the high school gym at El Cajon Valley High. And then you had the San Diego Surf, who I think were playing at the arena in Miramar. And so the San Diego Guardians supposedly are bringing pro basketball back to San Diego, which is like not even really a thing because – when I think of pro basketball, I mean, if, to me, if it's not the G League or the NBA, it's not really pro basketball. It's semi-pro basketball of guys that are maybe they played at a smaller school and they're just looking for that one shot to go somewhere. Or maybe they get a deal overseas. It's it's really disingenuous to call it pro basketball. It actually kind of drove me nuts because San Diego actually has had pro basketball in the, in the last 29 years if you count all these dumb leagues that have, have popped up you had the san diego wild cards back in the day which were i remember they had tv commercials and bill walton yep. was like a spokesman trying to get people to come out to see the cba which at the time was kind of like the, it the wasn't level bad. below the nba they weren't affiliated but like you would yeah it wasn't bad basketball like you'd see guys that were drafted or maybe yeah. guys that you know were journeyman type guys in the yeah. nba I think I said it League, wasn't that played, bad. And, and guys like George Carl and Phil Jackson got their start coaching in the CBA. Just didn't, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't catch on in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember, um, I, cause I was like, when I was a kid and this, this team came out, I want to say it was in fifth grade. I was, when I was in fifth grade, I was all about the NBA and huge magic Johnson fan, Michael Jordan, all, you know, Reggie Miller, all the great players of like the nineties. Like I love nineties NBA. Like I love me some nineties NBA. Um, I was kind of a Lakers fan, but not really. I just, I just appreciated the talent like more than any sport. Like, I don't know why I think it's because I played basketball, but like, I love Sean Kemp and, and Gary Payton, Carl Malone, like all those guys in the nineties, man, that was, that is my jam. I feel like I got really good 90s knowledge. And so I remember begging my mom and then her boyfriend at the time to take me to one of these games. And so finally, they're like, okay, fine, we'll take you to one of these games because, you know, the tickets are cheap. They're like, oh, it's come to the game. It's $15 or whatever they were, were charging. And so my, my mom's boyfriend is basically my stepdad, so I'll call him my stepdad. He uh, brought me and his son because he had a son that was actually the same age as me. And so we hang out and stuff. So we get to the game. We go to the, after the sports arena. As we get up to buy tickets at the window, they're basically, yeah, there's no game tonight. The, the team just folded. And so we were trying to go to the game where apparently they were, they sold four tickets. To, they had four tickets sold that were not to season ticket members. Like there was like nobody going to these games. And so we went there with the intent to watch a basketball game. Instead, we found out that the, the team had folded. So I, that was the end of the wild. Card. Vaguely, I'm a little – I think I'm like, what, two <laughs> years younger than you, so I remember it. Um, I remember the Stingrays. Yeah. In, in like the third iteration of the ABA, the, the most famous one is the actual, you know, Dr. J ABA, and there's been like five versions since. I remember the Stingrays 
I was so excited to have another yeah. minor league basketball team. Cause like you, I mean, nineties kid, we used to on Fridays, we all wore our favorite jerseys to school in, in elementary school. And we would uh, play basketball on break and we'd all have, you know, cause of San Diego, we didn't really have a team. So it was kind of this cornucopia of someone's in a Jason Kidd Jersey or a Barkley Jersey or a Jordan Jersey and all this stuff. So it was kind of cool. And we were all, you know, nineties NBA kids and to get a team was cool. And, um, common knowledge amongst my friends, but if someone's listening who doesn't know me, which is probably impossible, um, I'm a little on the tall side. I played some basketball, and um, so the Stingrays was pretty cool, and then it ended up being this weird promotional vehicle for Master P, so it wasn't really what we were hoping for. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I vaguely remember that one because I kind of ignored it. And I, I feel like San Diego had another version of some basketball team, but the Guardians are coming to be in this league, and um, this is part like like you look at San Diego and you look at the landscape of sports. Um, the Soccers are very much a minor league team. I, I like the Soccers. I like that version of soccer almost as really better than the real version of soccer because it's fast paced. There's things going on. It's not difficult to figure out. It's kind of fun. Like uh, I, but I don't look at that as like a pro sports team. If the soccer's win a championship, it's not that big of a deal to me. You look at conversely with, um, you know, you have the seals and the seals are, it's, it's indoor lacrosse. It's, it's fun, but it's not like it's a major sport. Like it's interesting to follow. And then you have, the goals, which is it's essentially a triple A hockey, whatever you want to call that. And so we have all these like teams that we, and we, you know, we have one major league team and we're talking about trying to maybe build a new arena. And I think we just have to try to set our sights a little bit higher than playing, you know, getting excited or, or trying to pass off another team. And I don't think anybody's excited about it. The organization of the guardians is trying to build up hype. Oh, I forgot the strike force. We got, we got indoor football league here. Um, which I think they have a team in, in Phoenix too, the Arizona Rattlers, which used yep. to be in the big AFL, but that folded. But now, yeah, now they have the indoor well, football. And, league, and you have a point. The thing with the arena is a lot of people um, are saying, oh, well, let's let the Ducks do it. I know you're a Ducks fan. I have a lot of Ducks love growing up. But the problem, if we let the Ducks do it, yeah, that dooms San Diego forever to be a big town for hockey at least. And Oh, yeah. Um, if, you, if you're going to set your sights high, I for mean, sure. I've heard people say the time to do it was 30 years ago, and they're probably right. But if if you don't do it now, it gets it gets dire because Seattle just yep. got an expansion team. The the list after that, you know, San Diego's got to get on that list somewhere if they're ever going to do it. Um, my complaint is, you know, like, like the Seals, like you said, it's not a major sport, but they are the highest level of indoor lacrosse. So they do handle themselves a little differently. And, and the goals are an affiliate. But all these yes. other teams that we get, like like the Loyal, I enjoy the Loyal. I'm not dissing the Loyal. Um, they had a little incident with the Phoenix Rising where the Rising acted very inappropriately. Um, I'm not dissing the Guardians necessarily. They're obviously a way lower level than the Loyal. But they all act like they're apologizing for the Chargers, and that's going to somehow endear themselves to us. Like there's always some like the Guardians already have a shirt that it says yeah. something like a city worthy of our affection as if it, it, to me, maybe I'm just bitter and I read way too much into it. But it, to me, it felt like it was like, hey, we're sorry about 2016, but we want we want to be here. And it's that's great. But 
Well, the th- well, the thing with loyal, the loyal is it, it depends on like, again. I'm I'm probably the wrong person to talk about soccer because I'm not. I'm not a soccer person at all. Um, I, I appreciate the loyal. Like I've watched some of the it games is. that they are on. I think what they're doing in the community is really cool. But it's second division soccer, and the the first division is the MLS. Which, I mean, if you and I think as Americans, we're kind of like Major League Baseball is the best baseball league in the world. There is no debate. The NFL is really the only professional football league in the world. I mean, they don't really. And if they do have it in other places, nobody cares about it. The NBA is the best basketball league in the world. The NHL is the best hockey league in the world. MLS is yeah, like it, the 15th best soccer league in the world. I mean, I know. Yeah, I mean, like some people would even say like Liga MX, which is in Mexico, which we have a team close to us in Tijuana, is a is better and more competitive than the MLS. And so now we have a subdivision of that. Yeah, like MLS, you know, I remember growing up. That. And hearing about players who didn't quite work out in the majors or they got old and they went overseas to Japan, MLS is that to a lot of the world. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, to have the, the level below MLS, the loyal have this, this dream, you could call it a pipe dream, where they act like they're going to get a stadium and they can take that stadium, they can remodel it, and they can, they can get to MLS. But MLS is so relatively undeveloped in this country. That's another thing where it's like, if San Diego doesn't act aggressively, they're going to be behind Phoenix. They're going to be behind a few other markets that are already in, in that second division that I'm not saying this as someone who lives in Phoenix because I love San Diego sports, but you know, Phoenix has about five cities that if they wanted to could act aggressively to bring a major sport in. That's one of the reasons why they have, four major sports here. There are other ones like proximity to LA that hurt San Diego, but you know, Phoenix is a larger market than San Diego. The loyal acting like they're going to get the MLS feels a little bit like the kind of BS that San Diego's have been fed by sports teams before. Yeah. And who knows what the future is going to hold. But again, this is part of why this minor league these minor league teams coming here that are just look, this is some of the teams that are in this basketball league with the San Diego guardians. You have the Anderson aces who played Anderson, Indiana. The only thing I know about Anderson, Indiana is that's where the, the band, the Ataris formed. You have the Dayton flight, the Flint United, that's yeah. Flint, Michigan, which is what the third biggest city in Michigan. Um, you have the Kokomo Bobcats who play in Kokomo, Indiana. The only thing I know about Coco in Kokomo, Kokomo, Indiana, is that's where Joe Thatcher is from, former Padre. You have the Enid, I think it's E N I D, Enid, Enid, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma. What is it called? Uh, where the, I just, the Outlaws. You have the uh, Fresno Fire. This is the league that San yeah. Diego is saying professional basketball is back. Yay! Nobody cares. Um, that team will fold probably by. The I didn't realize, and this is the funny thing. The I didn't realize the that they were just the ABA team transitioning. So I looked at their Twitter account, and it said they had joined in yes. like 2017. So I wondered, who are these people? And I, I just really admired the moxie of saying they're filling the void left by the Clippers when there have been at least five franchises who have tried. Yeah. Look, man, it, you can call yourself a professional sports team. 
But if you play in a high school gym, you're not a professional sports team. I'm sorry. If your games take place at El Cajon Valley High, you are not a professional sports team. You're semi-pro. And, hey, people like it. People are into it. I have zero interest in it. Um, we'll wrap it up there. Um, we're going to move on to kind of our uh, the music portion of our thing. So if you're a sports person, probably now time to check out. Um, before we get into that, I actually want to uh, talk about uh, our, our podcast. This is the second episode. We are now on most of the major platforms, so Spotify, uh, uh, Apple, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. So if you guys can do us a favor, you know, we appreciate everybody checking out the first time. And we're get, this one's running pretty long. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're going pretty long here, so we'll wrap this up soon. But just hit the subscribe button, check it out. You know, our goal is to drop one every week or so. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to be all over the place talking about a lot of different things. So um, just trying to have some fun, fill the void. It's, we got, it's, it's COVID, so everybody's got free time. Nobody's going anywhere, so just just hit the subscribe button. Put it. If in your you are listening, it's, it's very much appreciated because there are more options than ever out there in podcast land. Yeah, especially because, like what we said from the beginning, this is not a Padre specific podcast. There's obviously it's going to be Padres heavy, and we're probably going to talk about some form of Padres every episode. But we, you know, I think we got we got more up our sleeve than just Padres talk. So. We're going to talk about whatever we really want to. And obviously the technical side is the thing we're improving. So if anybody's got any tips out there for adding music or coming up with a theme song or something like that, um, hit me up on Twitter at MadFriarsKevin and uh, tell me why I suck. So uh, let's get into the music portion of it. So what we do every week is we do an album swap. Um, So our music tastes are very different. And so we each gave each other an album this last week. So let's talk through it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with, I'll start start with the one you gave me. Mine. Definitely. Um, so Kevin gave me what okay. to do when you are right. dead by armor for sleep. No, that's not what we're doing. That's we, what I listened the, to. The one we listened to. Was that, not to that? Is that what you listen? Okay. So I, well, didn't we we talked last week? I gave you like a, a metalcore one, but let, let's talk about it, that one then. So yeah, I went through the DMs, a little bit of miscommunication. That's, what, that's, that's fine, you but you listen to okay. it. So let's talk about Armor for Sleep. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's fine. You can check the episode last week. You're wrong, but it's fine. Uh, let's talk about that because it's a great album. It's um, it's a uh, basically it's 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 an emo masterpiece. Um, I grew up listening to the Warp Tour scene, the emo scene, and so. Uh, what this album is, it's kind of a concept album about somebody who dies, and it's kind of the whole progression of them, you know, kind of coming to terms with the fact that they are deceased and the different emotions um, and stuff. So lyrically, it bummed me out for sure. Um, I don't, I don't usually listen to <laughs> emo. I don't usually listen to, uh, you know, I, I listen to music that that evokes feelings. Um, I, I guess more in a, a traditional pop way or more of a poetic way. I don't usually listen to things that are so like in your face about kind of lyrical content. Um, so it, it did its job. It bummed me out. Uh, musically, I mean, they have good <laughs> melodies. Um, I'll just say straight up an album called what to do when you are dead um, would 
and I saw like the cover art on Spotify. It's not something I would ever pick up on my own. Um, so this is kind of the, you know, expanding the experience part of it. Um, I appreciate you not giving me one where they're, they're screaming. Um, the melody, there'll be time for that. We'll, we'll ease into that. Um, well, there'll be time for that. The melodies were good. It kind of did that um, thing that some emo bands do where the rhythms kind of like to go in the jam mode and kind of scale it back. They don't quite open up all the way. Um I'm not a huge fan of that, and it got a little repetitive with that for me. Um, but you know, appreciating that something that I wouldn't normally listen okay. to is pretty good. Ah, I couldn't tell um, you the name off the top of my head. There's right. one about halfway through that opens with some electric piano, which is pretty even for uh, emo stuff. In my experience, it's pretty wild. So I thought that. Was- is it the one that see it sounds like it's kind yes. of like um it, it's like more electronic sounding yeah that one's called a quick little flight um it's mm-hmm. kind of i almost looked at that song as kind of a it's a really short song and it's almost kind of like an interlude because i think what the album is and i remember reading some backstory on this is um the singer basically wrote it about somebody who dies the first song on the on the album is called car underwater it was like their single um, that they kind of tried to get on the radio. Um, and it's basically about a guy drowning Listen. in a car crash. I believe it's committing suicide. And so it kind of transitions to um, a song that I heard in heaven. It rains all day long and it kind of goes through different things. And so it's, it's to me, it's not a super depressing album. Um, it's, there are some songs that are really fun on it. It's one of my favorite albums from that era it came out in 2004 and a little bit of background armor for sleep is they were a band that um you ever heard is there a band like in, in the type of music that you listen to that like kind of was on like the verge of being really yeah for big me uh, and just uh, around the same time period i would say interpol do you have okay well so with armor for sleep that album that, I believe that album came out in like 2004. It was a really successful album for them. And their next album, they actually signed to a major label and they kind of tried to be a little bit popular. And when bands like in that, in that scene, you can yeah. kind of tell when they're trying to get into more of the radio rock, they kind of write songs that are more catchier, that are maybe more contemporary and the, the band was on getting on big tours. Like they were on the uh, Project Revolution tour with Lincoln Park. And I remember their label must have paid for them to get onto 91X because 91X is playing one of their singles. And the album that came after this one was like their last album. And it kind of, they kind of went away after that because the album just didn't find that, that core audience. So um, um, it's a really good album. But let's, let's talk about the one you gave me. It's uh, mm-hmm. called Sleeping Operator by the by the the bar brothers um i have never heard of this band before it, like what type uh, of music would you just a little bit that? like indie folk except it's got uh more of an atmospheric sound to it yeah like yeah like when you hear indie folk, I, you're probably thinking like lumineers things yeah. like that um i think they they still kind of fit in that scene but they're just so uh spaced out with the harp playing and just um um, the Bar Brothers, one is the guitar player and vocalist, and yeah. the other one is the drummer, and he does a couple other instruments if they don't have drums. And the one who, who writes the songs and 
plays the guitar. He's an extremely talented guitar player. They actually have a couple of songs on their first album that are more like Delta Blues. Uh, and he, uh, yeah, he, he just, yeah. they space out almost like the Grateful Dead, but they do it in an indie context. So it's a really, uh, um, like, like for me, it, it takes me back to a time in my life where I was working a lot of nights and I'd wake up in the morning and not really have anywhere to go. And it'd be a cloudy day in Northern California. Uh, yeah. Just kind of a, a, a slow paced meditative <laughs> kind of album. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause when, when you told me that it was, I, I think you said it might've been folk, but I, I kind of expected it to be yeah. more Indian. So the, the first thought I had with it, it was very atmospheric and it was kind of chill. Um, the ones like I'll be honest, like it wasn't really my cup of tea, but um, one of the the standout track to me, um, and I really actually really like the song was a, a, it's called "Come in the Water," and it's like a seven minute song, but it's like they're playing a whole bunch of different instruments, and yeah. it's um, I think there might be some banjo in there, and it was just there. There's lyrics, but there, it's not. Um, it's more of almost like an instrumental. It's kind of like almost like a jam session. I felt like and I thought that part was really cool. Um, I actually really enjoyed that. And there's a couple of other tracks, but that was the one for me that I, it was a standout track. Like My if we were going to make a spot with Spotify playlist, which we potentially could do with some of these songs, we might as well. Right. Um, that was one that I, that I'd pick. Um, the next song That's my um, after that, which is called little lover. I, 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 I do it. skip that. One. Um, <laughs> that's your it's least favorite. Oh yeah, that song's oh it's bad, but yeah, the first couple of songs like the atmospheric thing, I, I liked it. Like, I mean, I, I didn't hate this record by any means, um, but yeah, the little lies yeah. and I, it was one of those songs too with the ly- like lyrically it was kind it, of cringy. Um, it it so opens I, I with that I forget what they call the song. instrumental going and into it, but skipped. then it goes into uh, Love Is Enough, and that's a a, a great intro to the album. But um, yeah, Little Lover is just uh, it doesn't do it for me, but. But what you're talking about um, enjoying um, Come in the Water has about three different segments to it. It's actually kind of epic for what they've done. It has a lot of different time changes and some cool stuff there. Yeah. I like that one. And I think that's yeah. why I liked it so much is just because it was not what I expected it to be. And so um, I like some instrumentals. Like um, I know a lot of people – like I listen to a lot of like heavier music and I think the issue that people have with that is not so much that it's got double pedal drums or the guitars are tuned low or they're, it's just fast. It's the vocals coming in. And I think having, I wasn't a huge fan of the vocalists on this, on this record. I just didn't really do it for me, but I think the, I like that they're, they're it sounded like to me like they're playing a bunch of different instruments. I'm not a music major. Couldn't tell you what it is, but just from a listener standpoint, I thought it was really cool. Um, so come on the water. Yeah. Download that track. Uh, put that on your Spotify or your Apple music. Cause it's actually a pretty sick song. Um, let's move on to our selection. So we're going to kind of go with a spooky type selection or dark selection. Since we are upon Halloween, it is um, sci-fi channel is showing Freddy Krueger's all week. And AMC is showing all kinds of Halloween movies and whatever crap. Uh, it's find. a band called Woven so, Hand, uh, what which do you got for me this is week? the second project of one of my favorite songwriters, David Eugene Edwards. Um, his first one was 16 Horsepower, which was an alt country band. Um, not particularly dark, but for the Halloween theme, 
the album is The Laughing Stock by Woven Hand. It is about as fiery, intense darkness as you will find in my catalog. I busted out around this time of year. Um, officially, it's alt country. Okay. Some people call it country gothic. Um, it has a little bit of rock to the music, but uh, David Eugene Edwards uses Bible verses, biblical imagery, Native American melodies. Um, he's inspired by Joy Division, um, as well as country to kind of make this. Um, okay. It's hard to explain. We'll, we'll get into it when you listen to it. it it's uh, to me, it's apocalyptic. <laughs> Okay, so this one I'm gonna give you, and it, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one with a little bit of screaming, um, but there's also some melody to it. Like, so there's not, it's not just just dissonant. I'm gonna give you. It's a, a CD came out a couple years ago, or album, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a band called Ice Nine Kills. Um, they are a, I guess, a metalcore band that is kind of trying to transition to what I call butt rock. Um, they had a. Um, so basically the album is called the silver scream and all of the songs on the album are based on horror movies. And so it kind of opens with a song called the American nightmare, which is based on nightmare on Elm street. Um, and it kind of goes all the way through the last song on the song on the album is called, this is the end. It's about it or it is the end. So, um, but there's a lot of varying styles. Um, they have a song, about the crow. I don't know if any, if you've seen that movie, it's, it's a really good movie from back in the day. Um, they have a song about Friday the 13th and Halloween and American werewolf in London. So there's, and every song, like if you look at the lyrics, one of the things um, I'll kind of give you a precursor, there's a song called rocking the boat and it's a song about jaws and they turn the jaws theme into like a, a guitar riff. Um, it's actually pretty cool. So even if you don't like, the music, um, the and the guy to me, um, Spencer Charnas, who is their lead singer, has a really good voice to where, like, I feel like the, he can actually hit notes and sing. Um, but there is quite a bit of screaming. There are some songs where there's no screaming. So um, I think for you, it's going to be kind of an eclectic mix. There are some songs I feel like if you liked what I, if you like some of the Armor for Sleep stuff, I think you'll like some of this. Um, Probably won't love it, but I think. No, very cool. I, I like the given the movie that it's idea, Halloween. Always, it, felt, it felt appropriate. Um, I'm not a huge Halloween guy, but I like kind of the movie camp about it. I, I actually, uh, I've been to a couple of psychobilly shows, things like that. So, um, kind of the old Misfits movie camp will be cool to hear, and uh, I'm excited for that. And I think with Woven Hand, I'm going to go 50 50. I think you're going to love it or hate it. Well, I mean, those are generally how it goes. I mean, with this album that you gave me, the Bar Brothers one, I mean, I, I would, there are definitely some songs, like, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to, like, go out of my way to play it, but um, the Come in the Water song is really dope. Like, I, I really like that. I think um, anytime guys can play multiple instruments, it's dope. So check that out. Um, pretty much that should wrap it up. I mean, we've been going for an hour and a half, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, not too bad for a second podcast. Yeah, it, it, uh, a lot more natural, a lot, a lot more so flow this time. And I think maybe we were uh, a little motivated by avoiding the uh, national sports news of the evening. So, 
Now, yeah, um, I, I I don't want to go look at Twitter right now. It, it's all because uh, uh, Justin Turner showed up in the post game celebration, so that's the new. Uh... <laughs> and he, oh Christ! I am hundred percent serious. And, uh, he was serious? told to go isolate, and he did not. <laughs> Oh my God! Um, so uh, he, was he's in the, picture. the game. He's got, he's got COVID. He's he is sitting in with the picture, so, um, with the hat and shirt and the hat and shirt game. And 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 you know, I'm like, I I almost want to give benefit of the doubt. Like maybe they already found out it's a false positive, but I'm pretty sure they didn't because no one said anything. So I. I I, I just look, I look. He's in the middle of the shot. Minutes ago, from Jeff Passan and the um. Well, somebody wrote like Rob Manfred said Justin Turner was removed from the game in the seventh inning and immediately isolated to present the present or prevent the spread of COVID. So how did this happen? It shows him a picture. It looks like he's next to yeah. is he next to Dave Roberts. I can't tell, but he's sitting there right he in is, front of the trophy. And then Jeff passes. But it's the answer. He's next he to Dave Roberts. Nobody stopped who him. He was, asked was to adamant about persistent mask usage during the games because Dave Roberts is a cancer survivor. I, I I'm not. I'm not going to speculate. Like you said, I'm not going to reach. Jesus I'm just Christ. stating the fact. And I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what's going on. Good God! All right. Um, Might as well. I mean, I, I mean, I guess we can end it on that note because I'm, I'm trying. Uh, we, we we talked about when, when we started doing this podcast. We didn't want it to be a dirty podcast with a bunch of cussing, and then I'm just going to end up dropping F. I don't know what planet we're on right now. I'm so confused. We start talking about this, but. I'm like I'm I, I'm confused. I, I don't I don't know what is going on. I'm I'm kind of baffled. Um, he, he he tested positive, and you know we saw what happened with the Padres when Alex Dickerson had that positive they, test they, and they shut it down and like they banged two games and they you know ended up having to play a doubleheader. They, they a banged the game. I remember I got home the minute fake, that the game fake, was supposed but, to start and I turned it on. And they were give, they were making sure everyone was mandatory masking, that they were isolating the teams relatively from each other, that they were outside, that they weren't they didn't want that they didn't want the Giants to go back into the clubhouse because they were worried about the clubhouse. <laughs> Everything was like, you know, they were treating like it would be an outbreak in any workplace. And now we're saying the guy tested positive. He was removed from the game and immediately put in isolation. And there's a picture of him as the centerpiece of their victory photo, and no one's wearing a mask. It's the hypocrisy at its finest. I mean, this makes you hate the Dodgers even more. Holy crap. Um, it is, it's bad. Um, so, oh, and look, there's a picture of him kissing his wife. Maybe so she's got COVID now too. So congratulations to Mrs. Turner on the COVID. Um, you know, maybe somebody gets sick from it. And I get they won the world series, but I was at work. Maybe people. And they said the guy working over in the tire department got COVID. I would expect him to go home. And I would expect him to at least if for some ungodly reason, he didn't go home. I would expect him to wear a mask and stay away from everyone. I mean, as far as we know, as of 
10.47 p.m., as far as we know, Justin Turner has COVID. That, that's the fact, as far as the best reporting we know right now. Yeah, so um, we'll have reaction for this as this goes on. You know, maybe we'll end up doing another pod at some point in the not too distant future, nope. but we'll wrap yeah. it up there. If we go any longer, we're hitting Dave and Jeff that territory. So I want to thank you guys for checking us out. If you're still with us, thank you very um, much. Have a great night.